Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Welcome to the Diversity Remix, busting the echo chambers of culture, politics, and business. I'm Charlie Echeverry. And I'm Jesus Chavez. This week on TDR, Biden as a divider, Quebec taxes the unvaxxed, and Mexican soccer bans gay slurs. Among the reasons Joe Biden was elected president was to heal the country's toxic politics. Has he failed stupendously in his first year? Or is he just getting started in what is a marathon of change rather than a sprint? Is a Canadian province's novel strategy to increasing vaccination rates an inventive and innocent effort to protect the health of their citizens? Or is it a punitive measure enacted on a minority? And finally, the Mexican Soccer Federation has enacted its latest and most dramatic sanctions against fans who chant a gay slur at opposing players. Is this a prudent step to limit verbal violence or an overly idealized solution to a deep-seated reality in competitive sports? This and more this week on TDR. So this is the first of our COVID shows, the COVID sessions. <laughs> the COVID episode, literally. Crazy. I mean, it's good that we have the technology. So I, uh, I, tested, I tested positive yesterday. We were going to do the show then. Decided that's, against it, obviously. Yeah, that's... Um... That's gonna be fun. But how are you feeling? Are you uh, trying to feel a little bit better now? I know you, I, uh, yeah, a little bit of issue like, at the beginning. Uh-huh. Yeah, even yesterday, I started getting symptoms in the morning, um, like really early morning, like even before I woke up, five a.m. You know that kind of thing. We're kind of feeling restless in bed. You get that like lazy leg syndrome and all that stuff. And I was thinking, well, maybe I'm just like over sore, you know, from working out or from moving all this furniture and stuff we were doing, you know, over the previous days. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I, I knew we were going to do the show. So I decided to be, you know, take the precaution and just get tested. And sure enough, I took two tests, actually, they both came back positive, the, the antigen ones, the ones at home tests. And those are the pretty crappy ones, right? So if you get those positive, you know, you're, you know, you're positive, like the PCR ones is like, you know, that's like turbo. But you know, if even the crappy ones tell you you're positive, that's got to be you know, <laughs> not a good sign, that's, right? That's like, you must have the, you must have the super COVID. You know what I mean? If you so, so, uh, but in uh, yesterday, yeah, you're right. I was on one of those calls with you and I was fading pretty, pretty you're fading fast. hard. Yeah. I could, I could, yeah. yeah, I could see it. You're fading hard. Well, listen, but, man, it's, um, you know, at this rate is like, there's so many memes now that I've seen, uh, oh, like people trying to still avoid COVID. It's like, it's, it's inevitable, right? It's like the, what's the name of the guy from, uh, from Marvel. Like I'm inevitable. Oh, uh, Thanos. 
Thanos, yeah, like Thanos. That's what we're dealing with. COVID yeah. is like Thanos, right? Hopefully he doesn't snap his fingers on me. But to answer your question, I mean, I actually feel pretty good today relative to mm-hmm. yesterday. So I had a pretty bad headache all, you know, all through the night um, and yesterday, like pretty much all day. But then today, um, you know, I, my doctor, who I mentioned to you, is an osteopath. For people who don't know, that's a medical doctor, but one that's, you know, basically looks at root causes, not just symptoms. And uh, she prescribed a whole cocktail of stuff, and I've been on it, like everything, right? So uh, this uh, hydro, uh, the ivermectin, hydro, hydroxy, whatever it's called, chloroquine, natokinase, which is a blood thinner, uh, this thing called medrol. Um, I have asthma, so she also put me on this like nebulizer thing, mm-hmm. and then Z Z pack, and and I just got back because they actually do this thing where you can pull up to their office and stay in your car, and they'll give you like an IV, an ozone thing which is basically just like every kind of vitamins like b12 like all these different things and they just yeah, they yeah, give yeah. you an iv of it so i had an iv and then they gave me a shot of something i don't remember what it was um so like i actually feel pretty good right now it's it's it's, yeah. it's crazy my, my voice give you is like a pretty nice little lift when you, when you it get does right. yeah it yeah. does i mean you remember back in the day like you'd go and you, if you you know kind of tied one on the night before you go get a b12 right. shot that was something people did and yeah now, no, i don't know no, for sure now you you know there's more over the counter hangover things that I see all the time now when I go get gas or something. It's like oh you just you know you have a if you got like some rager the night before you can take some <laughs> some over the counter counter thing. But it used to be you go get a B12 shot. So I definitely do feel like I've got a little bit of a boost. Now who knows you know because I always hear from people it's like yeah day one blah blah then day three it comes back and like so who knows you know right, who knows right. what it'll be. But so far I feel pretty pretty okay. But obviously I'm you know. Not trying to infect you, so I want to make sure yeah. to well, uh, keep listen, my distance. If, if everything else is not working as well, you could always go the you know old traditional Mexican route, some Seven Up and Vapor Rub, and that's and it. Then you got burp it all out, you know, and that's it. <laughs> Let me tell you guys. something. Let me tell you something. <laughs> my mom, you know, what my mom used to do. I don't know. If, did, uh-huh. did your did your parents have any like crazy uh, kind of Mexican witchcraft uh, treatments? Because my mom, this could have been the, in the Colombian uh-huh. witchcraft category. Okay. She used to do. Uh, there was a couple things. One is she would put newspaper, like she'd do the Vicks vapor rub, and then uh-huh. she would put newspaper under my shirt because the newspaper would create, and it actually did. It created. It trapped like the vapors of uh-huh. the Vicks vapor rub. And it created heat and also made it so that I could smell the Vicks Vaporub more more than just going through the fabric of your shirt. So that was right. one, the newspaper. The other one was um, pulse, like what are called poultices. We didn't call them that because, of course, that's not the word in Spanish. But it's basically where she would put like onions, I think it was onions, in um, on the bottom of my feet and like then put a sock around them so that the onion could draw oh, out certain things. that's super interesting. So, no, my parents, no, I guess we definitely were big vapor rub like – I think all Latino parents are users, but we never, I never did the newspaper thing. The one that does remind me the whole thing with the feet is when I was in Kenya. Um, so I discovered after a while that apparently I don't do very well with lactose outside of the U.S. I'm not lactose intolerant here in the U.S. I can drink any kind of milk or cheese and it never bothers me. But the second I go anywhere outside of the U.S., it always bothers me, right? So you're only allergic so- to African cows? <laughs> well, it's like Mexico, Colombia. It doesn't oh, matter. Okay, anywhere, yeah. anywhere outside. Non-American cows. Yeah, yeah, anywhere outside outside of the U.S. So while we're in Kenya, you know, we were already towards the end of our trip there. We had been there maybe 10 days, a little more than that, I guess. And, um, you know, I've been eating, you know, pretty pretty good food, but almost all Kenyan food, right? And me being, you know, a smart guy, 
we were at a, like a mall, et cetera, and decided like, oh, look, they have some pizza. It has been a little while. Look, I totally have a taste for pizza, right? I don't eat pizza here that often in the year in the U.S., but when you're there, you're like, you're missing, I guess, at times, some of that local flavors, right? So decided to eat some pizza in Kenya. Well, that was a major, major mistake, right? Mm. Food because of the cheese? I think because of the cheese, yeah. I think it just basically yeah. really messed me up. But I got I got pretty sick, right? Um, and my mother-in-law then, right, uh, she basically, she was like, oh, I know how to fix you up. I'm like, I just need some Pepto. Like, I was even like, if you just give me some Pepto, I'll be fine. Like, just give me some Pepto, I'll be okay. She's like, no, 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 we're going to give you, like, real remedy. I'm like, all right. So she got these little, like, patches type of thing and put them at the bottom of my feet. And it was like, oh, that's going to pull like all the toxins out of your body. Mm-hmm. And then she puts them there and I think get the same thing, socks, et cetera. And then hours later, she puts them out and they're all like, they look all dark and black. black. She's like, yeah. she's like, you see, I told you this is all the toxins. I'm like, yeah, I don't buy that. I think that would happen in all scenarios if you put it underneath your feet. Uh, I don't know if I, I buy thought- the fact that she helped you. I thought you were going to start telling me like some Temple of Doom scene where there's like a gazelle gets brought in or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would well, look. Awesome. I mean, that would have been a great story. Yeah, for sure. I mean, but I I do put a lot of stock in in you know traditional remedies, home remedies, things that have been handed down for you know generations, and I also put a lot of stock in the medicinal power of, of nature, you know, of, sure. you know, herbs and minerals and things like that. Now, you know, so I I. I I agree that in terms of how we think of health, we're especially as Americans, like we want it gone now, like yesterday. Right. And I've got a meeting at three. I can't have a headache, you know, stuff like that. Then, yeah, For we're sure. going to be disappointed with all that stuff. But, you know, if we don't think of it that way, we might actually not be so dissatisfied. Well, listen, Charlie, hopefully this is just a little minor hiccup and all any discomfort, headache, et cetera, you know, uh, starts to go away pretty soon because we want to see you back at 100% um, and have these things conversations in, in person. Thanks, but, brother. You know, I appreciate that. Yeah. So just so you know, because it ties into our first Courage or Cringe, which is all about Joe Biden, I did have a really great gift yesterday because I was feeling pretty bad and I uh-huh. wanted to get some rest. So what did I do? I put on Joe, uh, Joe Biden's press conference and it put me immediately to sleep. It was amazing. <laughs> Yeah. Well, there you go. That's you know, it was better. It was uh, better than it was better than Nyquil, Jesus. So, uh, <laughs> so, but we got some fun. We got some fun courage or cringes. Uh, Why don't we get started with uh, with the first one? So our first courage or cringe, Joe Biden was elected to be less divisive than Trump and he's falling and he's failing miserably at it. So this was actually an opinion piece that was written by Matt Lewis uh, that he wrote for the Daily Beast. Now, in it, I was kind of surprised, surprised to see it in the Daily Beast, if I'm honest. Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah was, I mean, I know it was, it's opinion, but still. Yeah, it's opinion. But uh, so he makes the case of how Joe Biden is actually being very divisive. And starting to look more like Trump than not, even though he was supposed to be, in many cases, the anti-Trump, right? So in the piece, he writes, you know, Joe Biden's mandate was to restore norms and work across the aisle to heal the country's toxic political culture. In other words, to not be Donald Trump, right? However, Mm. as he lays in the piece, he lays out a number of examples of which he's making the case of how he's being more like him than not. First, he refers to the, the speech that Biden gave in Atlanta, where he spoke about voting rights. And challenging the filibuster rule, right? Something that actually just got shut down in Congress uh, in the That's Senate. Right. 
yesterday, I want to say, right, where mm-hmm. he both the filibuster rule and also the the voting rights, the voting rights, uh, refer, yeah, formation or uh, um, yeah, law basically got shut down as well. Uh, went nowhere. Now, in that speech, he compared opponents to of changing Senate filibuster, filibuster rules in order to pass Democratic voting rights bill to notorious races like Bull Connor, George Wallace, and Jefferson Davis, right? Um, which, at least in the, in the opinion of this, this writer, he thinks is very similar tactic that, that Trump will often use of framing his opponents as enemies of the people and as human scum. Right. I know, I know that I know that this piece wasn't referring, obviously, because it was written before, but wasn't referring to the press conference just yesterday that he gave. It was like two hours well, long, but yeah. in that one, one of the questions that he got was about that very point about comparing people. And he went, he lit into that reporter. He was like, "I never said that, or I never meant that, or whatever it was." Right. So I guess in his in his mind, he was saying more like, you know, like yeah. yeah, you're like you're like resembling those people, not that you're like sure. them. I think it's a very it's a, one of those distinctions without it's a, a difference. Nuance, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a thing, yeah. Uh, it's very very yeah. It's it's a maybe minor difference. Um, so look, so also while um, uh, while the piece actually supported some of his comments on attacking the January sixth writers, it also called out how Biden had broadened his condemnations of Republicans, like including folks like Mitt Romney. Who actually has stood up to Trump and voted twice to impeach him, right? Right. Um, but the, really, the most interesting accusation of the piece, at least that I found, is that how this piece really putting blame on Biden for reinforcing some of the same dangerous claims that Trump has continued to make by advancing this idea that our elections are stolen or that will be stolen if we allow some of these changes to continue to take place that relates to voting reform, right? And he's definitely so, taking some heat on that one, even because that came up in the press thing yesterday as well. And even Kamala Harris had a, uh, Kamala Harris had a uh, interview today on NBC where she just, she was like laid into by the, Oh, really? No, and no, NBC I didn't, I didn't, people. I didn't see that. Yeah. On the same thing. It was like, how, how, you know, how's it possible that we're hearing that from this administration? Yada, yada. So that, that one's right. definitely one that broke through. Yeah, and, and really the, the, the comparison is, is in terms of reinforcing this claim is either, one, of course, by, uh, by Republicans disenfranchising voters, as promoted by Biden, right? A lot of the comments that he's made in terms of why he believes that we need voter reform at a federal level, right? Or, of course, by the mass voting fraud claims that, uh, that Trump has made either through these tainted voting machines or other irregularities, right? But his point basically being like both are the net result of both of those claims by both Biden or Trump is continue to erode the confidence of the people in our voting process, right? Mm -hmm. Now, part of the argument that, you know, that he was making is that the baseline logic uh, on who voting right changes impacts that at least according to the piece is primarily pushed by the left is, is false in that Republicans benefit from fewer people voting and that Democrats benefit from higher turnout, right? This seems and we've had like record high turnout in the last couple of elections. Record right? high turnout, right? So the question is like, well, it's not so much about the turnout, but more about counting the votes, et cetera, right? Right. Um, and, and really making up a, a point about taking a federal approach to voting as being wrong because especially in the wake of Trump of a Trump presidency that frankly, if he would have had that kind of, federal power to the voting approach, then he could have taken advantage of that to actually use it to retain his power. So almost mm-hmm. showing that this is actually more dangerous by taking a more federal approach, uh, especially if a president that is, that, is, that is looking to try to retain power in whatever means that, you know, he can. Um, and lastly, he basically calls out Biden for trying to kill the filibuster as something that both first Biden has previously opposed and something that if it does get passed through, he's going to regret right away once it gets done. 
since Republicans could then use it against the Democrats. Sure. Democrats won't say sure. Trump, right? Yeah. Turnabout so, is fair play. Yeah. So it's all of this kind of together, right? So basically by casting adversaries as enemies, by under, undermining the, the efficacy of elections, right? Seeking to give mm -hmm. federal government more control over state elections and pressuring his party to take do away with the filibuster, <coughs> he sees right. as Biden basically following the path of Trump rather than being the opposite. But using a completely different method to achieve the same. Yeah, effort. right, 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 right. And, and in some cases, actually, somewhat similar means, right? It's kind of the, the yeah, that's true. making, right? That's true. So, yeah. so as we think about this piece, so a lot to unpack here, but, but let's just start with, so courage or cringe, you know, mm -hmm. is Biden following Trump's footsteps while claiming to be the opposite? Or is the Biden approach a necessary result of the polarized political moment? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I can kick us off. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a courage on the piece itself. I think he should be held to account for the divisiveness, whether, you know, strategic or an innocent result of something he may want to be doing or a result of something he may want to be doing innocently, I should say. Um, you know, it's funny <laughs> going back to this, uh, this press conference yesterday, uh, Chris Steyerwalt, who's, uh, you know, longtime news commentator. And now he's got, uh, he writes for the intercept, I think, uh, described not the speech in Georgia, but the press conference yesterday is like watching mm -hmm. someone pass a kidney stone <laughs> and, and it's, <laughs> and, and, you know, it's oh, just, it's, it's, uh -huh. it's just clear. It's clear to me, you know, I, I, like I understand why Biden doesn't really speak more. And, and the reality of it is, is he's just not very good at it. Right. And I don't think he's ever really been good at it. It's not yeah, just something that's, that. that's, yeah. that's because he's older, but unlike wine, he actually worse. hasn't gotten better with her. Exactly. Right, right, right. He hasn't worse. gotten yeah, better yeah. with age. Right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, I think that if you listen to that speech and you do it objectively, coming from a place of goodwill with and try to put aside your things, I don't think there's much question that even though he's denying it, he he was in a way comparing those who might oppose this more kind of federal push to these voting laws to racists, right? Like certified mm -hmm. racists, people like Bull Connor, Jefferson Davis, George Wallace, all of them, you know, ironically, perhaps all of them Democrats, right, by the way. But in but my point is, I don't think it's one of those distinctions without a difference to say, well, I just meant that you'd be in their camp. Okay. Yeah. But like you make camp with, you know, people who are like-minded, like that's the whole point of that. So in a way you're kind of saying the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. What he actually, his quote from that speech was, do you want to be on the side of Dr. King or George Wallace? Do you want to be on the side of John Lewis or Bull Connor? Do you want to be on the side of Abraham Lincoln or Jefferson Davis? I mean, I guess you could say, I wasn't telling you were on the side, but you're saying if I pick that I, that, you know, that side, because I disagree with your approach, like it kind of puts me on that side. Right. So I think the other thing about Biden is he talks quietly, like he's a he's a soft spoken guy and he speaks slowly. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he speaks like peacefully. Right. In fact, you know, the opposite might be true. In other words, you could speak loudly, but peacefully. Look at Dr. King. He was like a super impassioned orator. But his but his message was one of unification of peace, even though he did it loudly. What I think we have with with Joe, with Biden, is that he speaks quietly, but oftentimes he does speak divisively. And so I'm courage on the peace. Do I think that it is a byproduct of something or an intention? I don't know. Like, I don't know how to how to uh, ascribe a responsibility to him. But when you're the president, it's like everything stops with you. So it's, it, it almost doesn't matter because it's, it's kind of like it's on you no matter what. Right. So, but anyway, that's, that's my starting uh, right. thoughts on, on the piece. Um, yeah. So I look, as I look at this piece, 
I, I kind of put this in the, I'm cringe on it. And the reason I'm cringe on it is I put this kind of, although I think he makes a lot, I want to kind of get into the actual individual points that he's making. I think, I think he makes some really, really good points that I haven't actually thought yeah. about. Uh, but the overall framing of putting Joe Biden to be in many ways, just like Trump, um, mm-hmm. I, I feel like this is one of those examples and look, and I hate to use it as a, as a, as an example, but, but it, people, it, it's the sole overused comment, like, oh, this is just like the Nazis, or this is just like, seem like people go right. to like, this is just like the other thing. No, it's not. Those are two very different things. This may be bad. I agree with you. Yeah. It's a bad thing, but it's not just like this other thing. Right. So, and I think to that point, there are levels to this or degrees to divisiveness. And while I do think that some of the stance that Joe Biden has taken have been uh, more aggressive, I would even say potentially divisive to that point that he's making here, I have a really hard time putting him anywhere in the same category as, as Trump and the approach that he, that he took, mm-hmm. right? So that's sort of my starting point when I, when I think about this. There is also a piece that I think one of the criticism that Joe Biden has gotten is that in many cases, he hasn't acted more like a CEO and, and I guess he hasn't acted enough like a CEO and too much like a middle manager, right? Where the idea is like, well, let's work on all the compromising right away, right? As a way to get things forward. And the reality is he's either overestimated his ability to, to compromise with the folks because the outcome has not been good. I mean, that's an the, interesting the, point. The truth yeah. is he has a party with his extreme divide that doesn't follow him. He doesn't really fully lead. He can't get his own party in the same page, let alone the country in the same page. So, so is another way to say that, that he's had an over-reliance on a consensus type approach to, to leading as opposed to more of a, hey, like, a, you know, I, I, I don't know what you call it. Maybe co- command and control. Him. Command and control. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. Right. Because, look, you may disagree with Trump, but there was no... Uh, misconception, no confusion about the fact that Trump was saying, we're going to do this. Whoever is not in line with me, like you're going to get help from me from day one. And yeah. that has never been Biden's approach. As a matter of fact, I think that's part of the reason why people like Senator Manchin and, and Cinema have been able to push so hard against them because it's like the old guy is just talking and he's going to assume that I'm going to some, uh, at some point agree with them. And you know what? I'm not. Yeah, I don't feel the kind of backlash that Trump is, you know, has in the control that Trump has. Even now, when he's no longer the president, even to the one degree, kind of outside looking in, he still has a level of control with with the with with the party that Biden hasn't had. And I think part of what you're seeing here, and maybe even maybe in some cases, an overcorrection potentially of now trying to sound much more aggressive and taking stance because he hasn't done a lot of that early on which has actually led to many of the failures that this administration has had and not be able to move the agenda forward with his own party, let alone, once again, with, with Republicans, right? I think that's part of the challenge that, that you see here. The other thing, too, when, when I think about some of the commentary that you have and the point that he was making is this whole notion that this idea or this false narrative that, that somehow if you reduce turnout, that that only helps Republicans and that Democrats benefit from higher turnout, as being a narrative that's only pushed by the left. I, like, I understand where that may be coming from, but I wholeheartedly disagree because I actually have heard many Republicans, including Trump, make that point directly, right? About how actually opening up these, these rules of access, et cetera, actually benefits Democrats more. And if that actually didn't happen in some way or another, why is there so much concerted effort to reduce the number of people that have 
easier access to a, to a, to actually polling sites to have more days available for polling days, right? More locations for people to be to be, to be able to drop off their voting ballots or even places yeah. to actually some of place it, their ballots. See what I'm saying? Like that's me. That those there's like good counter, reasons and there's good reasons and yeah, there's good reasons and dumb reasons. I think you know, good reasons might be well. You know, we don't like the idea of ballot harvesting because you have one person who is, you know, besides volunteering and maybe being assigned by some committee is, you know, responsible for gathering uh, a bunch of different ballots in places that we don't know about without the controls of a polling booth and then delivering them. And, and we're hoping that, you know, nothing falls between the seats of the car and blah, blah, blah. So there's reasons like that, which can be legitimate concerns that people would have on either party. And then there's reasons that are maybe a little bit more folksy, a little bit more ideological, not ideological, a little mm-hmm. bit more just because I have some tradition that I believe voting day should just be one day. Because I've heard that. I've heard that in conservative uh, uh, quarters where people are like, look, it used to be back in the day, you know, that whole thing. Like, we vote on one day and that's it. And you got there, you didn't get there. My mother, she wasn't able to get to vote for Kennedy and she didn't. Like, I mean, yeah, there's all of that, right? But but, so I I think there's good and bad reasons for this. When I think about getting rid of voting days over weekends where more people who don't have the flexibility of, of being in more likely more white collar job, you have a little more more control about your own kind of calendar. Basically, yeah. would impact people that are more blue collar that have set schedules. Then, to me, it goes beyond. This is not so much about security, but just making it just a little bit harder. And once again, you could put rules that, at face value, may seem well. This is just fair for everybody, but then have an outsized impact on certain people. And look, and and even the I understand the point. I think he makes a really good point. Is the answer? having a more federal approach for voting? I don't know, because he's right. If Trump had those tools in place, right, and uh, when the, during the last election, it's a very high likelihood that he would work really hard to try to retain his power using those means, because even till now, the, the steps that this guy has taken to try to retain power are amazing to me. Mm-hmm. But the outcome of all that, the outcome of all this narrative of mass fraud, which has never been proven across the board in all different court cases, and all of these, uh, even other accounts uh, that was that were done right in, in, in uh, Arizona, et cetera, has never been proved any kind of mass fraud. You still have 19 states that have enacted 33 different voting laws that are aimed at securing, or, or I could put in parentheses, restricting access to voting since the 2020 election. So there is mm-hmm. a clear effort to reduce access to voting that has happened in a lot of number of states. So the question is, what do you do about it? How do you fix that? Right. Do you do you just let that go and say it kind of is what it is, where the reality is these are all happening as a result of a narrative that was driven primarily by a president who lost. Have have you looked at at those? Was it 19 states, 19 laws? Mm -hmm. Have you looked at any of the specifics there? I mean, you mentioned weekend voting. What other Mm -hmm. examples of of measures have you come across that you think limit the rights of people to vote? IDs, weekend voting, the actual hours of the polling being, being available, less drop-off sites for, for, uh, for ballots. So these will be all ways of which you can make it more convenient or less convenient for people that are more mobile restricted, right? Which if the, if the point is, if you're talking about someone that is more restricted mobily because of having more fixed hours because of their job, having less access to mm-hmm. cars, et cetera, or, or having more reliant on public transportation, then all those just become a little bit higher hurdle. Maybe it's okay for the majority of people, you and I included. That's not going to affect us in one way or another. I think maybe, it wouldn't maybe, affect most maybe people. The but, weekend, but the, maybe but the, the percentage one, right? that it but, would. 
Right, but, but the percentage have, that it would, to your point, would probably disproportionately affect the type that, of person. I, yeah, I understand yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, I can I can probably get I can probably get behind most of those things. The the voter ID one I have never understood, and I continue to not understand. I think that that is a baseline table stake kind of reality for doing anything in this country. Frankly, even you know because we do a lot of work with homeless families, and a lot of mm-hmm. those families are undocumented. Even they have ID. Yeah, that's a, and they're undocumented. That's a great. That's a great point. I will, and I just haven't seen this, Charlie, but I'm sure someone has. It is what exactly is that data breakout onto who doesn't have ID and why, right? Like, what are the what are the real reasons and hurdles that people may have in getting? I, I honestly don't know. I can but, I can but, believe but I that people the, may have may have had ID, lost it, and don't don't know the process of getting it back. Right. I can believe that maybe. I would still think we'd be talking about pretty small percentages. But if they don't have ID, then they can't do a lot of things that ostensibly they are doing. They can't have a job. They can't drive a car. They can't, you know, hold a job and, and, and you know, uh, um, you know, get certain products. I mean, so like. Yeah, but look, there was a know? time where only people that own land can vote. Right. That was a way to say, no, it's not racist. We're simply saying only if you own land. I mean, look. If you had a law now, I'm being facetious, but if you had a law now, like only if you own your home, you can vote. Hey, we know who is going to have an outside impact with. Sure, right? sure, so sure. So there sure. may be some yeah. things there. Look, I would put it in the category as potentially those are underbanked. Look, to some extent, you can tell people like at this point, who's underbanked? It's so easy to set up a bank account, whether it's virtual or in person. But yet, there's still a number of people that are too far in that category. Honestly, don't know what the reasons are for, for that. But I think what I react to is the orientation is the orientation is how do we get more of our population to be part of the process of voting and participating in who our elected officials are, or is the idea is to have, which seems to me in some case, at least for some of these rules, to be the how do you make that just a little bit harder? Yeah. And, and uh, once and, again, and, and, that's, that's sort of what I respond to, maybe being uninformed as to some of the very specifics and some of no, those I, edge no, cases. No, I think what you're saying is really reasonable. I just think that we have to finish the thought, though. It's getting, it's having the most of the population vote who's eligible in ways that don't unnecessarily uh, risk the integrity of these elections, right? Because, look, any voting mechanism is going to have some openness to funny business like all of them will somehow right. like even the most secure things people are hacking and doing crap to stuff all the time sometimes just for fun so any access to a system is going to be a doorway for a bad actor like all of them are so the question isn't does it have access because they all do the question is is the access providing unnecessarily higher risk than we need to take um, you know, as we add all these different methods, right? right? Because you could say, yeah. look, let's just let's eliminate all all voting at the polls. Let's only have people vote from their homes. I mean, we're able to do all of this stuff at COVID. Like, we don't need to go mm-hmm. anywhere now, right? So yeah. you could say that, but to me, that's that's unnecessarily raising the specter of potential issues where you could have rather this you know portfolio approach of different ways to do this that may at least at this moment in time be more safe. So. Look, so 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 I think we could we probably we could probably get on to about most of these things together, mm-hmm. um, and and you know it's an interesting discussion. The last point that I'd say is, and and this just goes to the to the heart of the divisiveness question. It may not be divisiveness, but I'll tell you, he, Biden has the popularity of a divisive president. I mean, right mm-hmm. now, just so you know, the real clear poll averages separate Trump and Biden by point th- three tenths of one percent. Is there a favorability difference? Three tenths of one percent. I mean, literally, and he's about to drop below that. He's about to be 
more unpopular. And, and this is an average of polls. There's already been like the Quinniap one shows them at 33%. So, so no, whether it's divisiveness or not, people look at him as favorably as this divisive character that he just yeah. succeeded. And I, and I think that's actually part of the reason why what I would expect out of Biden, I think, is going to be a much more vocal, much more, yeah, much more vocal, I would say potentially divisive uh, approach that he hasn't really taken to date because the challenge is that when you try to please everyone, you please no one. And I think he's taking a little bit of that approach of wanting to come in and be the one I'm going to bridge the bill. I'm going to build the bridges back between these two polarized sides. And he is walking to a very different political environment than anyone had before him. And frankly, many of which obviously was, was, was even uh, accelerated once was Trump was in office. The, the, the thing I wanted to just highlight before we move on, move on in this conversation is that whole idea about filibuster, which I think is a really interesting one. Part of the challenge that I see with that, with, with leaving it as is, and even before people were, were for it, for those that may not be familiar, but anyway, what the filibuster allows you to do is, is the rules that are put in place that basically stop the conversation on a specific piece of legislation so that it can go for vote. Meaning that if you don't have at least 60 votes, right, with, within the Senate, you can't even get it to an actual vote. And that's the problem is at this point, most things don't ever get to an actual vote because you can't even get past that point of stopping the conversation around it. And in such a politically divided environment that we're in, my frustration that I've had with not just this administration, but now for a little while is how much little legislation actually gets done because everything seems to be constantly being voted like directly by party lines. And I would love to see more people having to vote on things and again, having to go on record, whether they approve or, dis or, or disagree with a piece of legislation that they then have to live on with the consequence of their voting. Even if, Even if it doesn't go to vote. Correct. Uh, yeah. And I, I think it's important because even, let's, say, let's, say you, you know, let's say the Democrats have control and they pass a really crappy law because of that, because now you just need a simple majority to go to, go to vote, right? then they should live with a record of them crapping, passing a really crappy piece of legislation. But I almost feel like it's at some point it becomes better than passing no legislation and everything is just pandering. You're saying like, oh, I want to do this, but the Republicans won't let us. Or we want to do this, but Democrats won't let us. And it's always this finger pointing without ever getting to the point that they're actually voting on legislation. That's, that's the reason why maybe before I would have been against it and now I'm for changing the filibuster rules because I just feel like there's such little impasse at a Senate level that it, it just becomes much more forcing mechanism to have to live with the things that you actually support and therefore then see the consequences on the other side by either you know, staying in power or getting voted mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. yeah. that was, that's the, yeah. the five-minute spiel as to why I agree with that more. Yeah, it's definitely more than a five-minute conversation. I mean, the thing, <laughs> for sure. You know, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll punt on the filibuster uh, okay. for, for now, but... Um, but I do think we'll be talking about this. And, and, with, and with respect to this kind of new approach, I agree with you. I call it Joe 2.0. So, uh, so we'll, see, we'll see what it comes out. And I think the, I think the great irony is that Joe yeah. 2.0 will look a lot more like Donald Trump. That's I, the great I agree. irony. I, I, I think that's actually the, the, that's actually the case. I agree with you. Uh, okay. Well, let's, uh, let's move on. We're uh, uh, 0 for 1, but it's okay. We'll, we'll turn it around to the next one, I'm sure. Just like I like it. We agreed all, the, all last week, remember? Yeah, so we exactly. have to break that, that problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I came in ready to, uh, to fight in this one. Beautiful, uh, beautiful. So, courage or cringe, Quebec's newly announced tax on unvaccinated residents is already working. 
So tis, the, tis, Jesus. It is Quebec, not Quebec. Come on now. Come Quebec. on now. Oh, I'm going to murder this one. So I probably should yes. even like tease this one now because there's no yes. way. Is it really and by Ke- the way, Quebec? Ke- I didn't, I never Ke- heard of that. Oh yeah, it's Quebec. Yeah, Ke- Quebecois. The the people from Quebec will be the you know are are oftentimes and no coincidence they speak French there, but oftentimes are like sort of the French people of North America. Like they're very they're going to let you know when you screw things up. So oh, like yeah. this is I, a culture. I've yeah, been yeah, in yeah. Montreal and I've got yeah I got culture. oh yeah nah, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was, Quebec. It was Quebec Quebec all right fair enough. Mm-hmm. So the premiere of Quebec, Francois Legault. Does that sound about Very right? Very nice. Very yeah, nice. all right. We'll take it. Yeah. Uh, so he's been making some bold moves in the fight against COVID. So first, uh, requiring proof of vaccination for anyone entering its government-run liquor and cannabis stores, which are the only legal outlets for hard spirits and weed in the Canadian providence. And the results were like immediately, right? Vaccination appointments <laughs> spiked. <laughs> Rising you can't buy 6, your 000. bourbon or weed, That's, so you got unless you genius, get vaccinated. It's a genius move, to be honest. Well, can right? we talk for can we talk for a second about the fact that the government is this as a person who sells you whiskey? I mean, I, I we got. I mean, That's how awesome. do you feel about that? That's, you you like you it? Know, it just it's just smart smart business right there, right? So instead of wow. fighting, like, we're going to lead it hard. We're going to sell your weed. We're going to sell your alcohol. I just think it's hilarious. But the, but look, it's like knowing where to push, right? You push where it's, like when someone squeaks, right? I guess, dude. You had bookings for appointments go to six thousand immediately, like the next day, up from fifteen hundred a day. Like, <laughs> wow, people got to have their uh, their weed and spirits, like, my that friend. Is I guess amazing, right? Uh, then he announced a new tax on the unvaccinated. So basically, the way this works is anyone who is unvaccinated in the Providence will soon need to pay an additional, and I'm putting quotes, health contribution fee to help cover the cost of caring for the sick and managing disruptions through the pandemic, right? Now, so far, uh, he's only said that it's a new tax that will be significant amount and not less than 100 uh, Canadian dollars, or which is about, about 80, 80 US dollars, though anyone who has a legitimate medical reason for not getting vaccinated will not have to pay it, right? Now, what makes it more interesting is that Quebec already has one of the highest vaccination rates. As according to this piece, I said that 85% of the population have received at least one dose. Now, according to another piece that I saw, uh, Axial was saying that it was actually like 90% that were fully vaccinated, which basically at the end of the day leaves about 10% who are unvaccinated. So relatively speaking, something like the U.S., which at this point, I'm not sure what, it, what the number is. It's like in the 30%, mm. I think somewhere around there, were unvaccinated in the U.S., it's much much lower there, right? So well, they just said it yesterday in the press conference. It's oh, two hundred million that are vaxxed. Well, I don't know the percentage, but it, it's yeah. I think I think you're right. I think it is seventy percent. I think you're right. Seventy percent right? yeah. vaccinated. Yeah. Uh, yeah, at least one vaccine, right? At least one Correct. shot. Um, so now, according to Legault, right, the even though the unvaccinated make up about a thin make up a thin slide of the population, fifty percent of the patients in Quebec's intensive care units are unvaccinated. Now, this comes from him, right? So I don't, I don't have another source to to compare that to. Uh, now, in, term of, in terms of actual results, there seems to be an immediate increase in vaccination appointments. So on the day of the announcement, the appointments went up by 40% from the previous day from 5,000 to 7,000, right? So immediate change from people that don't want to pay this tax. Now, of course, this all brings up questions on whether this is legal or even ethical, right? Uh, who cares? Now, you already have, exactly, you already have some of the population there's already pushing back uh, to some of the other COVID restrictions as they are much stricter than other, than other places, right? So there's already some of that. You, of right. course, have some media pundits that are being pretty vocal saying that this is really unfair for those that are unvaccinated. 
And of course, this could still get a legal challenge, although so far, and I checked it, I haven't seen anything yet where there's a national legal challenge that's been put in place, although that do could they, still do they happen. Have, do they have a Supreme Court like we do? I should know this. I, I'm not familiar enough with the with. I, I would guess so, but I, I'm not familiar enough with their, with their system. But it's probably one of those where they wear the, the white wigs. Oh, I'm sure it is. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so... So, and they correct you on your uh, pronunciation. Yeah, if I walk in saying Quebec or get thrown out, ah, guilty. That's fine. So, Objection. courage or cringe, bold moves to fight bold pandemic, or double burden for communities that may already be underserved. Mister mm. Echeverry, this is this is you close to the heart. So today yeah, we you know being, being COVID positive. So COVID positive in my. Uh... In my bathrobe here, by the way. It's first <laughs> first time I've done the show in my we don't, we don't in my bathrobe. I was going to ignore yeah, that well, whole just, fact. Just for the record, it's a good thing this isn't a video podcast. <laughs> um, a, cu- a couple things for background that I think people might want to understand is Canada has a progressive taxation system, right? So basically, the more you earn, the higher percentage of, of your income that you pay. But it's not like you pay on all the dollars, right? As you enter a new bracket, you pay the incremental dollars of that particular bracket. So it might be like... You know, zero to five hundred, uh, zero to fifty thousand dollars. It'll be a percentage, and then the fifty first, the fifty thousand and one dollar, you're paying at a different rate, right? So it's, but it's this progressive kind of um, uh, tax system, and it should also be known that Quebec has some of the highest tax rates in all of North America, right? So in Canada, you have you have to pay this progressive tax system that I've just described, and as an example of that, if you make one hundred and ten thousand dollars, I'm sorry, uh, uh, ninety eight thousand dollars or more. Your tax rate, your opening tax rate is 26%. But then on top of that, if you happen to live in Quebec, there's additional uh, tax brackets, right? So the net of it is that uh, uh, Quebecers paid the equivalent of almost 40% of Quebec's GDP in taxes. Okay. The rest of Canada is 30%. And in the US, it's about 25%. So just to give you a a frame of reference of like, you know, the taxation situation there uh, in in that particular province, right? So it's a little bit, it's a tax happy place, let's just say, okay? So I'm I'm a cringe on this across the board for a number of reasons, okay? One of them is that the argument for efficiency or efficacy, like, hey, it's working, let's keep doing it, is not a winning argument. I think of it like, you know, you could get 100% people vaccinated if you told them that their house would be burned down if they didn't, okay? You'd have 100% compliance. <laughs> you okay? with a torch right here next to it. So exactly. Like, sign me up, man. Shoot, shoot, let me get all three of mine. Give me the boosters at the same time while I'm at it, okay? So punitive measures and punishments may work short-term, but long-term they, drive, they create really bad culture, okay? I also never like it when a majority is the one issuing the punitive measure on a minority. Like, that hasn't gone well in history, Okay. And not to mention that the the other driving argument, this idea that, well, these people are a drain on society. They're creating all this havoc. It's 50% of the hospitalizations are unvaccinated. It basically means that if you have a lifestyle choice that creates a issue for the community, you have to pay more. Well, then, dude, that opens up a thousand different scenarios. Like, I want to talk about, I want to look at the obese people. I want to look at the people who are alcoholics. I want to look at the people who may have some other kind of congenital things that have a hot, much higher degree of of impact on a percentage basis than COVID does, right? So for a number of reasons, I don't think that this is a winning approach, so I'm a cringe. Oh, I really lo- love the way you went with that last point that you were making. So so, so let's start with that. Uh, yeah. Like, what if, instead of saying, hey, we're going to put a tax on the unvaccinated, say, look, we're going to put a tax 
on individuals that due to their personal choices, increase the amount of cost that is required to care for them because they're making personal decisions. So going back to, if you smoke, you get taxed more. If you are have a certain BDMI or B, BM, BDMI, right? I think I said it right. Uh, uh, BMI, BMI. BMI, BMI, sorry. BMI. BDMI is a invest, investment firm. Yeah, it is, right? Uh, yeah, or VCs. whatever, some other, some other metrics that yeah. show like, hey, because you're eating certain kinds yeah. of food or you're unhealthy, mm-hmm. Like, would mm-hmm. you be obesity? More, yeah, obesity, right? And and to agree that is not um, caused by like natural cause because some people have different sort of, uh, um, yeah, yeah like you just nat- have a crappy lifestyle, right? You just have a crappy lifestyle, lifestyle, yeah. life, crappy lifestyle indicators. You would, um, um, you will pay more in taxes to take your. Like, would you? Yeah, let me like, tell you. What, what let me your, tell you. Yeah, what mm-hmm. would your reaction to that? I'm, I'm really let curious. Me tell I hadn't thought about I, that. I, 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 I wouldn't want that. I would want to uh, emphasize the positive of that scenario, meaning your tax rate is 26%, but I'll knock off three percentage points if you can show that you lead a healthy lifestyle by these following seven criteria. So you get benefits from the things that you do positively. You're not made. You're not given a punitive uh, uh, sanction for the things that you're not doing because I think one breeds for a happier, more thriving community and population. I just don't like punitive efforts. I'm only bringing it up to make the point yeah. that if you're no, saying yeah. the reason you're doing this right mm-hmm. sorry go ahead no no no. that's i think that's super interesting that's why i, I hadn't thought about it that way look we got, we actually do some of that now if you think about it right it's a really high sales tax for for cigarettes right sure. and it's something that's been taxed more and more and at least some of the logic i believe was based on that right that if, if this product that we know creates a lot of damage to people a lot of harm that ultimately ends up leading to people need to have much more you know care etc uh, later on, therefore, it's going to have a much higher sales tax sales tax as a result of, of, of doing it. Um, so that's why it's, a, it's an interesting thought that you're bringing up. Look, uh, in terms of where I land on this, I'm actually cringe on this one as well. Um, while I think I, I do think that the, the alcoholic weed is a genius move. Like, it's like it's the thing knowing exactly where to push. It is hilarious, but it's like super, super smart. Yeah. Like if we do this immediately, other people that, you know, like that's too too high of a price, literally. Like, hey, if I be about being able to still get my access to my weed and my alcohol, I'd rather do this and then go from there. I just think it is really, really funny. Mm. Uh, but but I do think that there is a line here that is being crossed right. uh, in my mind because there's a lot of reason why someone may not be want to be uh, vaccinated, including of course medical ones. That I just feel that is not the right to your point kind of incentive that I think we should be aiming for uh, in trying to get a population to be at a place where obviously everyone could be hopefully be safer in the process of dealing with this pandemic. But yeah, while I while I can appreciate the 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 effectiveness of doing this, I do think they cross a threshold that I'm not quite comfortable with. Nice. Okay. I'm so, with you. All right. We're one for one, Charlie. I, I ruined Preach it. Preach it. I was, Preach I was it. hoping to uh, disagree in every single one of them. So, nah, um, you're good. I'm you're good. Not, I'm not thrilled here. All right. So okay. last courage or cringe, five-year bans for anti-gay chants in Mexico. Wow. So we actually have talked about this one. I don't know if you recall a little while we ago. Have. Uh, we it's have. It's been a, an ongoing issue that both the Mexican Football Federation and FIFA have been have been really having an ongoing battle with the Mexican national team fans and trying to change their behavior and how they support their team, right? So this, of course, is all referring to a very popular anti-gay chant that the Mexican fan base uses every time the, the opposing goalie does a goal kick, 
right? Now, this is a tradition that's been done for years. I mean, decades, really. It's not just years, for decades. Yeah. And it's very. Do you remember? Do you, it it uh-huh. said that it started in the early, uh, you know, early parts of the two thousands. But that is do you remember true. the no. moment? It's not true. No, that's way okay. way before that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I was gonna then then the piece is. I mean, well, maybe the piece that I, I don't think. I mean, I recall hearing this like forever because you could hear right. it in the games, right? When you're when you're watching it, this is not a, a new thing. Uh, I'm curious to see. Yeah, we will want to look at at other pieces, but I think this is. Goes back to eighties, probably eighties, nineties, maybe even before. Well, because now. what I was going to ask is, what was the moment that created it? You see what I'm saying? Like, what was well, the circumstances that created that? The, the, I think, look, the 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 just so for those that may not be familiar, right? So the, the whole thing happens like the second the goalie of the opposing team kicks the ball, does a goal kick, the whole team, the whole fan base, or a lot of the fans chant or say this this one name, which is a very derogatory term for someone that is gay. Now that term is I would put it in the same category as the word gay, how it was used in many cases historically here in the U.S. And many people used it as a way to, to basically put down someone. It, was, it didn't have nothing to do necessarily with them being a homosexual. It was really more about a word that was used in replacement of someone being dumb or someone doing something dumb. Is the right. same kind of equivalent in Spanish. Right. right? There's a slang yeah. word in Spanish. A word that had been used, and I remember hearing that word as a little kid, everywhere. So it was a very, sure. very common word to use. So I can, so it's a very easy jump for me. If you have this word, there's like say, saying dumbass every time someone kicks the ball and is used so much that now it becomes part of the game culture. That's how it yeah. happened. To me, in my mind, that's probably how it happened. When exactly it. happened, I don't know, but I do think that's something that's been used for a very, very long time. I would think, I would think way before the 2000s. Because it would make sense to me, and I'm not saying this is how it happened, but it would make sense to me that the first time it took place is where there was an idea, true or, or invented or fabricated, that the goalie who was about to do it was himself actually gay. And they were trying to insult him in, in, in doing well, there is, it. Like, at, yeah. In terms of the first time that it happened. Because yeah. now the great irony of this is that when this chant is used, it's primarily not used against gay players. It's used against it's, just all players. Yeah, and most so, of the players right, aren't gay. Right. Well, that's the thing. It's, it's used against all players, but it's not a. It is not meant as a compliment, and and I of think course it's, it's and, not. And, and it yeah. was, and I think it's always been used, and it was used in in Spanish slang, especially in Mexico, as a way to put someone down, and and it is, sure. and it is accusing them of being gay, basically, as a as a as a as a comment to offend them, right? Yes, uh, to degrade them. And that got them. translated yeah. to degrade them. Yeah, thank you. Better, better word to degrade them, and that's been translated to, to the game. And it's been done for a, long, for a very long time, but it's really ingrained in the fan base. Uh, so it's extremely, it's been extremely hard to change. Now, the the Mexican Football Federation, they tried a whole bunch of things, right? Warning the fan, the fan base, threatening to stop matches, right? They find the actual teams, right? They even made the teams play without fans as punishment, right? So in, in all these cases, as much as they tried, it just doesn't seem to work. So now the Mexican Football Federation has, has come up with a new effort, right, to try and stop this behavior. So soccer fans in Mexico will be given basically a five-year ban from the stadiums if they are found to have made an anti-gay chant, right? Now, this is all part of a new process that was announced to push for a more positive fan experience. Yeah. Now, that, now that new measure is going to be tested in Mexico's next two World Cup qualifiers at home against Costa Rica on January 30th and Panama on February 2nd, right? I now definitely the, want to see how this works yeah, and how, operationally in practice. Like, well, how, how well, do you operationalize and enforce this? Well, this is kind of an interesting thing, right? So they're taking the capacity of, of Estadio Azteca, which is the big stadium there in Mexico City, down to 2,000 people 
for those upcoming matches to test the new measure. So in essence, you're probably gonna have a lot more people patrolling, being there to be able to see yeah. if someone says. Well, they it, won't do it because they're in a much smaller group. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm I think curious that's, to see you're... someone still does it. Like, they might think... be somebody may be ballsy, and I'm sure there'll be yeah. a couple outliers. But my point is, you're almost solving for a different use case, right? In that case, it's like what you're yeah. really doing is you're showing that people, when they're not surrounded by tens of thousands, will do things that are more outlandish. I mean, that's right. the truth. But when you it, set, it when you make true. it into smaller groups, they're less likely to do something. And that's why it's so hard to uh, to police and to change that behavior because you're right. Once mm-hmm. people are in the masses, and you know, people are you know, maybe drinking, et cetera. You're just in that, in that kind of mood. Sure. You can see how that happens. Right. But even if there's only 2000 though, and and I start chanting, what does that mean? The camera sees me, they tag me like a dolphin with a little sticker. Like they come see me after the mass, after the match. What happens? I'm going to assume that you get pulled out of the game and get kicked out at that moment. It's like, it's like fighting, right? Uh, I would think it's probably that kind of approach. (laughs) Gotcha. But if someone gets caught saying it, they're gonna get pulled out by security, and then you're you're mm-hmm. out, and then you're banned from the game, right? So, and some of the ways that they try to curtail also, you know, fighting in many other uh, sports, right? Uh, so I think that's that will be the thing, the primary way of which it happens. Okay. Um, and by the way, in recent months, Liga Liga MX, which is the Mexican uh, uh, soccer league. Um, they had a campaign uh, called Grita Mexico, right? That has also pushed to eradicate the chant in domestic club matches. So basically, instead of chanting that, you should be chanting Mexico when the other team, you know, kicks the ball, I guess. But it doesn't have the same effect. Yeah, think about it. A, a more uh, a comparison. It doesn't really would, insult them like yeah, I want that, to. That yeah, that still kind of, kind yeah. of insults the, you know, the, the, other, the other team without being the discriminatory. Um, so courage right. or cringe, right? Time to stamp out discriminatory traditions out of the game for good. Or another case of wokeness impacting the sports traditions that make the game unique to a fan base. Yeah, um, I'm cringe. I want to qualify a couple things really quick. Number one, I think the chant is tasteless, and I think it's gross. And most of all, I think it's untrue because, again, as I mentioned, the great irony here is that the men who it's directed at are actually not, first of all, most cases, like in 90% of the cases, not gay, and in, in all cases, not male prostitutes, Okay, which is what the term means right. in its literal sense, right? So I, I don't like any of those things, um, and and so I start from, from from that standpoint, right? So it's it's a lie, and like all profanity, it really seeks to tear people down, and that's never okay, right? It's precisely because of the motivation. I want to tear somebody down. I want to ridicule somebody. I want to make somebody feel small and whatever that makes that that term and all and other profanity, uh, you know, divisive and derisive and all that stuff. Right. It's frankly, it's the same reason I think, um, let's go Brandon is inappropriate because it's kind of a, a non profane way to actually insult someone. Right. Because we know what it means. Right. right and right. so at its, at its essence, you're literally saying, go after yourself and to a very specific person. Right. So mm-hmm. it's the intent that matters. Right. Now, having said all that, okay. And I'll come back to this, but having said all that, two things that I thought about here, number one, is sports are like gladiatorial and they're adversarial, right? It's kind of part of the DNA. So, you know, how many times do you think the F word is used in the stands of an NBA or an NFL game, right? By the fans at the players or by the fans at the referees, right? How many times have fans called officials a-holes, do you think, right? How many times have athletes called each other in the middle of trash talking every kind of obscenity you can imagine, right? The nature of sport in a lot of cases is to be oppositional, right? We fight it out and then we're supposed to, you know, kind of hug it out. That's the idea. So, and and we've seen that, by the way, a thousand times, right? Like you trash talk and then 
the person gets like wrecked in a play and then the, 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 the athletes helping them off the ground and all that stuff. Right. So, right. so I, that, that's number one is like the adversarial nature of sports to me makes it very difficult to say, okay, this is offensive. We need to stop because there's going to be other things that are happening. Maybe they're just not happening big enough numbers that are also offensive because that's kind of the nature of this mini psychological war that teams enter with one another. And that's what it is. That's kind of what sports is. So I think it's a really tough kind of bar to overcome if it's just things that are offensive. So that's number one. The second thing goes to the first point that I made about the intent being what makes these chants wrong. The intent is important, but if you listen to what the uh, soccer federation said, they said the exact opposite. Here's a quote from the president of the Mexican federation. He says, it's not the intention with which you shout or with which you chant. It's how the other people receive it. If anyone feels it's a discriminatory act, then it's not something we should include in a conversation. It's no longer a debate. I mean, to me, that's exactly the opposite of what makes profanity and all these different things wrong. It is precisely the intent. It's because I mean it to tear somebody down. It's not because like, oh, some people hear this and they, they're offended. It, the intent has a lot to do with it, right? So ultimately, those two reasons are why I'm cringe. I think anything can be offensive I, you know, it's a, or perceived offensive. And I think that we're, we're you know, calling out this particular chant, which is offensive and it is gross and all those things, but it just opens a door to now a lot of other p- potentially unenforceable things and just creating, um, I don't know, I think just more kind of mess of the situation. So I, I'm, I'm a cringe. Yeah, I, I didn't quite understand that, that um that part. quote just that, one part no just the, the quote that you read oh. um and I'm, I'm not fully following in terms of how you're using that logic um because well, look, I, 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 I saying, would say okay go ahead i'm sorry what all, all i'm saying is that i believe that the intention is what drives why these things are wrong and the football right. the soccer league is saying the intention has nothing to do with it yeah, yeah it's I, how people hear it I, and i agree with that statement i wholeheartedly agree with that statement and the reason I say that is because someone that says, even think about it in English, if, if, if this was an English, it happened to happen here in the US and the US fan base, uh, every time the opposing kicker kicked the ball, say you're gay and everyone is shouting that. Now you can say, well, wait a minute, that person is actually not gay. So that doesn't mean anything. So, but that's not, how, that's actually not how we mean it. We don't mean you're gay because we think you're, a, you're are gay and that's who you are in terms of your sexuality. We're saying because we are offending you by calling you this name that it actually represents the identity and sexuality of a whole set of group of people, right? That's where I think as a fan I say, well, I never meant to say that you're actually gay. I'm, I'm just trying to offend you. But the word that I'm using does like represent a group of people, but I'm using it as the replacement for saying F you, for saying you're an idiot, for saying there's a bunch of different ways sure. which... So that's a case sure, where but, intent mm-hmm. and still the impact can, even though those things are not the same thing, it could still be a really bad thing that we shouldn't allow to do, even if your intent is not the exact same one. Whether or not that person, that player you, is gay or not, hold on, give me a second. Mm-hmm. Whether or not that player is gay or not, it actually has nothing to do with this conversation because it never started mm-hmm. as, a, as a thing because one of the players was actually gay. It was never that. In Mexico, because I also grew up there as a, as a kid, at least spent some time there, People use it as a way to offend other people. It was never a thing like, oh, I think you're gay, so therefore I'm going to call you gay. No, no, no. I'm calling you gay as a way to offend you because I think – I actually think that's a very derogatory term uh, that people wanted to use, right? So that's a case where mm-hmm. I may not be intended to even accuse you of being gay. I'm simply trying to offend you 
with a word that I find to be offensive because I, I think that whole thing is offensive. So then by by that logic, though, what I'm hearing is if no gay groups or individuals had complained about the use of this word, you would let it fly. I guess you could say that potentially, right? But I think part of the question is, at what point do you stop traditions or words that are being used like this, even if those individual groups are not raising their hand and saying we shouldn't do this anymore because we feel offended that you use our identity as a way to offend people. Let, let me give you a, a perfect example that is done a lot. I don't know if all of Latin America, but it was done in Mexico quite a bit, right? In Spanish, people will say, no seas indio. Don't be an indigenous person. Don't be Indian, which it really meant don't be an indigenous person. Now, that is what it was said, right? Literally. What they meant is don't be an idiot because it was basically a, a, a synonym. Being indigenous was synonym to being an idiot or not being smart enough. And it was a very- or not being educated. Or not being educated. It was a very common thing to do. Now, I don't know if indigenous people start raising their hand and say, hey, stop using my identity as a way that someone is not educated, as a way of someone not being smart, even if you don't actually mean that they're indigenous or not. I don't care if your intent mm -hmm. is to say that they're indigenous or you think they may or may not be indigenous. What you're really saying is you're saying mm -hmm. you're calling them an idiot and you're using my identity as a way to communicate that. That's not okay. Now, mm -hmm. to me, it's, even if they hadn't raised their hand and said that, we probably shouldn't say that. At some point, you say, hey, maybe we should stop making that kind of, if you want to offend someone or talk to them, saying they're, not being, they're being an idiot, then why don't we actually call them an idiot if that's really what we mean? And stop using the word indigenous as a replacement for being an idiot, which is the way it was used many times. Yeah, I understand that. I kind of that. put this in that yeah. same kind of category. Where I may not mean <clears throat> that they're gay, but I'm definitely making a clear uh, you know, messaging that's, that, I, that, that there is something very wrong with that because I'm trying to offend the person. So it sounds like your courage on this one. I'm courage. I'm encouraged on this effort for a long time yeah. of what they've been trying to do. It is really, really hard to do. And look, on the one hand, I can say like, yeah, but it's just fans being fans. It's just all for fun. But if they were shouting, you know, Beaner, or if they were shouting Webpack, or they were shouting Mexican, I would have, I'd be way more offended by like, wait a minute. Why are you calling him sure. that? Right. And I get like, yeah, but we don't mean Mexican. We mean like how we mean it. Like, don't be an idiot. Yeah. But that's yeah. not what, like, I'm not okay with that. See what I'm saying? So that's why I would sure. rather say, look. And the question, though, I mean, we have to separate, though, not being okay with it with how you can create an enforceable policy. Yeah, because it's, it's we're, we both agree we're neither one of us is okay with it. So it's really the question is, that, does yeah. a five-year ban on individuals achieve the end? Now, the two qualifiers that I have I think really it helps, quickly, Charlie, by um, the way. I think it helps a lot. Yeah. Because fans, is, look, Mexican fans especially, they travel really, really well. They'll go to any World Cup, anywhere, and they're one of the most supportive fans because they're just traveling and going to support their, their home team. So banning a, a fan from not being able to be in person that actually goes to games going forward, I think, is really impactful for, the, for, the, for, the, for that person. I'd like to see more efforts like, you know, kind of the, the, the efforts that we've had in, like, airport settings in the U.S., you know, see something, say something. I'd like to see more efforts that are fan-driven yeah. because the fans in the stand – actually putting their foot down and when somebody starts to chant that going like hey dude shut up don't do that to my mind at the moment of like at the point of attack seems so much more effective than the risk of getting some sanction and then i could just imagine the yeah. loopholes the lunacy that's going to ensue with somebody going oh yeah we heard you yeah. and the guy going no i didn't that wasn't me oh, oh no we have sure. you on video show it to me let's go to court i mean it's going to be a sea of crap yeah, and bureaucracy you know so, you know one thing charlie that that people have have talked about another <laughs> potential way to curb this behavior is and this is very drastic so i don't like it but to take away points from the teams 
right? Mm. And I think if you do that, I mean, then you could create potentially the dynamic that you're, you're saying where all of a sudden fans police each other because now you're hurting the team's chances to be able to move forward, whether it's in a tournament, whatever it may be the case, right? That's That has long, long impatience. But it, it almost feels unfair for the team that may be trying to do yeah. everything that they can to, like, stop this behavior from fans. But, it, but I mean, that may mm -hmm. be – maybe that's the nuclear version of this if even this one doesn't work, right? Because now this is like, we're, like, yeah. attempt number six or seven at this point, and they still yeah, can't exactly. get, it, get it working. And if this one doesn't work again, who knows where we're where to, you know, decade long ban. Now we'll just start shooting the people when they're when they're chanting. You know what I mean? But, it, like, but in other sports, where are you going to go yeah. to from there? In other sports, they, they've done this and it seems to work better. Like basketball is a good example, right? If you get in a fight in a basketball game, those those play, those people tend to get banned many times for the season and, and many times for the that season and the following season. And if you're someone that's going to games or you're like a you know, season ticket holder, that makes a really big difference, you know, of, of not course. being able to, to go to your game. So it does have – and you don't see, frankly, much violence in basketball games. You see much more of that in, in the process of the sport as well. It's not as violent as like a football, et cetera. But there is some of that. Uh, I'm not sure what the rules are in baseball because you do see some more scuffles in baseball. And, and how they handle it there. Obviously, a much bigger stadium. I just love how the rules how the rules in hockey are. If we don't have a fight, there's something wrong yeah, with the game. The whole, I mean, yeah, but but yeah, is, are just, fans fighting each other all the time in hockey? Probably not, right? I'm guessing. Uh, I don't know. They, they, they fight each other. I mean, I, there's definitely fights in the stands. But what I'm really? saying is, literally, a hockey game yeah, is not complete until people throw down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, in a way, it shows you how how like there's a design problem with with the game of hockey yeah. that it can create that level of heat so fast where you feel you've got to just take your gloves off and pound somebody's face in. I mean, like think about this dynamic, right? But, like uh, the game, the, the I, 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 you know I think, what I'm saying? You know what, it's like, you know what? I think it's a really smart design of letting people blow steam in a way that they're really going to get very hurt. Because those fights all last minute, one minute of bad yeah, right? But because of, of because course, they were fighting on of ice course, and all that. See what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I know, but you're starting from the point of the assumption that the fight has already happened. My point is, what is it about the sport <laughs> yeah. design that makes you want to throw down and fight where it doesn't happen? In, like, you don't have to in baseball, basketball, football, none of those. Unless you're Aaron Donald who's trying to choke everybody out on the Rams. What's up with that? Do like, you, you, you see that guy. Cardinals game? Oh, yeah. It wasn't a, Dude, yeah. He was he, well, he was choking the, the, with, the Cardinal uh, player, the, the, the lineman, right? Yeah, DJ, whatever his name yeah. is. Uh, but like, I mean, the the dude was just sitting there, like he almost looked like surprised. It was go it, it was really weird because like he he, he looked kind of calm. Yeah, he, like you're really and, choking. And the <laughs> he was literally trying to rip his head off and eat it. I mean, it was like he was insane at that Aaron moment. Donald I don't know. It's a scary, scary, scary individual. I'm I'm scary very dude. glad he's on the ramp and not in a, an opposing team. <laughs> Yeah, although he could be on the Chargers, though. Yeah, it and could we, be. The really yeah, talking. there you go. And we're really talking. Go. Beautiful. Wow. All right, well, Jesus, that's a nice way to wrap things up. A good conversation. I think we had a one out of three. We'll take Feel it. Feel better we'll take than it. last time. There was way too much agreement. I was disappointed There was. That. So there... There may be another COVID show next week. We'll see what my uh, what my test results say. But uh, who knows? We'll be back in the studio. Still, think pretty good for a remote show. Not, not bad. Not bad. Hopefully, hopefully the fans agreed. Anything else? Uh, no, we're good. Everyone, take care of yourself. All right, awesome. You know, eat your vitamins. Do a little exercise. Don't get help yourself as don't well. Get COVID. Yeah, help yourself a little bit as well. Yeah, and uh, try to avoid COVID if you can. And if you don't, we're going to tax you. Yeah, we're going to tax you. That's right. <laughs> we're going to call it the Charlie tax. <laughs> That's it. That's it. All right, Jesus. Then we'll we'll, uh, we'll see you hopefully in person next week and everybody else next week on another episode of TDR. 
If you enjoyed this episode of the Diversity Remix, please remember, first of all, to subscribe and help us to spread the word. Tell your friends, family, co-workers, and give us a five-star review. We're available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your listening fix. And lastly, please remember to stop by blackbrown.us, the creator of this podcast, and take a look at our work and our approach at the intersection of diversity and business. The Diversity Remix is produced by Leo Gomez. The Diversity Remix is a production of Black Brown. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am and how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful, but we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost.